y'all, this is Zoe Midler, host and moderator of the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast. Welcome to episode 22, Finding Chopportunities, featuring Mark Ray, Director of Innovation and Library Services for Vancouver, Washington Public Schools, or as Mark often refers to himself, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, a librarian in charge of IT. Many teacher librarians know Mark from his influential 2016 TED Talk, Changing the Conversation About Librarians. Just pop onto YouTube and search Mark Ray TED Talk and voila, you'll have the video. He's also been a tireless, uh, a tireless evangelist for K-12 librarians via his role as the Future Ready Librarian Lead, hosting webinars, speaking at conferences, and contributing articles to eSchool News, Teacher Librarian and School Library Journal, and as an instructor at the University of Washington, Washington State University, and City University. I wanted to speak with Mark about his 2016 TED Talk and what's changed between then and now. What shifts and trends, obstacles are we experiencing as we work to reposition K-12 librarians as teachers and school leaders? You can follow Mark on Twitter at underscore TeacherX, underscore T-E-A-C-H-E-R-X, no spaces. Also, check out Mark's website, markrayconsulting.com, M-A-R-K-R-A-Y consulting, markrayconsulting, all one word, dot com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at zmidler, at Z-M-I-D-L-E-R. A quick aside, a big thank you to my colleagues, Lynn Gershman and Ming Shai, Education Technology Specialist with the Boulder Valley School District, for making this episode happen. Both recently attended Mark's talk at COSIN 2019. They knew I was a Mark fan, and so they approached him after his talk and asked him if he'd be a guest on my, podca my podcast. And as a result of that connection, here we are. Alrighty, let me turn this over to Mark. Hi, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's Friday and the sun is shining in the Pacific Northwest. That's unusual, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, yes, yes, we say that to all people coming from California, Texas, and the East Coast. Yes, it rains all the time in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, um, but 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 since since we're friends, I will share that we actually uh, it really is beautiful right now, and it's it makes living in Portland, the Portland area, just uh, pretty darn fantastic. Well, as you know, I'm in Colorado, and we have 360 some days of sunshine a year. So today is our first sunny day in three days. Fantastic. So we're very happy, and I also have to tell you, my husband and I are planning a long um, sort of extended trip around the Pacific Northwest, probably in the fall. So. Um, I'm not sure that will make a difference whether it'll be sunny now or then, or it's just always overcast. We're just ready for anything. Absolutely. Well, consider me a phone a friend, so don't be afraid to reach <laughs> out, and I'll tell you where to go and what to avoid. Okay. I appreciate it. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, I, you know, I know you um, from probably my early days as a teacher librarian because I was one of the you know throngs of people who watched uh, Changing the Conversation About Librarians, your TED Talk from 2016. And, you know, you were saying all the things where I was that person, you know, watching you at home, let's say, yes, and that's right, and amen, <laughs> while you were talking. I've seen you several times since then at different events and conferences, um, and I just actually read um, your article that you wrote for Knowledge Quest back in March, April 2018, um, That Kid, um, and Why Do We Need Future Librarians? So all of that has had me thinking over the past few months as there's been some changes even within my own district with respect to um, our K through 12 librarians and, and support for them. And, um, you know, we've written, we, we just rewrote a job description for them. We updated a bunch of content connections, which is in our district, our way of 
uh, linking our teacher librarians work back to teaching standards because they are teachers. Um, and I just went back and watched the TED talk and, and was thinking about things. And I just was wondering um, something that really caught me again when I was watching the video was, uh, you know, you said something in there about stop associating librarians with the past. And then I started to think, well, I think we're still running into this issue of how do we get administrators and the district level folks to stop associating librarians with the past and see them as leaders and teachers uniquely positioned to develop future ready kids and prepare them for the world they're going to be moving into. Um, so that was sort of the big overarching question. And um, then I also was looking at the article and, you know, one of the things that you said in there is a lot of people just don't buy school libraries anymore. And so those two things kind of came together for me. And I just wondered if we could have a conversation about what you're seeing you know, two years past, well, three years past that Ted talk now, you know, what are you seeing? I mean, why are we having still some trouble or uh, obstacles about that association that I think people still make with librarians about like what their mother did as a librarian or, you know, yeah. what they experienced. So I'll stop talking now and let you talk. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think there's a couple of things there that, you know, we can explore. One is that idea of, of that kid. And I think that that would be um, maybe a way out of this conversation, but I think <clears throat> we need to kind of start with, um, I had a, a very good, um, a very good friend and she was one of my first administrative bosses, Lisa Gressif. And uh, she was the, uh, for a while, she was our chief information officer, chief technology officer, and I worked with her uh, in a couple of different capacities. And she loved these uh, portmanteaus uh, where you put two words together. And so the one that she particularly enjoyed using was chopportunity, where you look at the, they put the words challenge and the words opportunity together and you kind of mash them into one word. And, um, and you know, I, I think we're kind of in a chopportunity moment right now with, with respect to um, school librarians, teacher librarians, whatever you want to call them. Um, <clears throat> it's very timely because actually uh, in our district in Washington State, um, librarians are again, um, teacher librarians are again uh, on the chopping block. Um, uh, Spokane Public Schools, which is a large school district on the east side of the state, announced that they were cutting all librarian positions throughout the district. Um, and it, it made the Seattle Times and, and, and there was uh, some wide um, kind of... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, discord, I guess, you know, at that mm. state level. Um, and Seattle Public Schools also was talking that they would be making some cuts to their librarians. Um, they've since, my understanding is they've since, because of some new funding that's come through the state, they, they re reconsidered that. It's possible that Spokane will reconsider it. Um, but even in my district, which has been Vancouver Public Schools, which has been a real kind of a, a case study of success and I've written uh, articles with my superintendent about how librarians are, you know, mavens of, of digital learning. And uh, we had a, a great case study uh, from Digital Promise quite a few years back now. That's like 2014, I think. They kind of got everything started. So we've, we've been a poster child for library renaissance in Vancouver. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done. And um, we've also just recently cut, uh, there's been announced cuts uh, for our instructional technology facilitators, which are not the librarians, but they're the people that do a lot of the work associated with uh, implementing our one-to-one -one program. Um, and so that cut is going to impact uh, librarians in a significant way so that they're going to probably have to pick up a larger share of that work, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a opportunity. The challenge is, is that uh, they, they, they are going to have to do more work. The opportunity is that it's a chance for them to reimagine their work. 
And uh, we also have announced cuts to our library clerks. So the paraprofessionals that do the processing and uh, uh, or you're not ordering, but but basically getting getting the books on the shelves mm-hmm. and getting the textbooks out and so on um, have also been cut. So we're feeling that right now. So I guess I would just say I, I, I hear your pain. I feel your pain uh, because we're we're really in the midst of that right now in Vancouver. Right. So, you know, I, I, I want to say that actually we're right now we're in a good spot just because like I, I think I mentioned to you previously when we were talking before the podcast that you know, all of our schools are, you know, staffed with um, what we, we call them teacher librarians, right? They are, they have um, advanced degrees. They're all uh, licensed and endorsed teachers, and they also have gone through library programs. Um, so, you know, right now that looks pretty good. I just wonder what happens at that district level. I mean, does this change, you know, I have found that when I've been out there and I can have one-on-one conversations with our principals about you know, the art of the possible with librarians or teacher librarians, it resonates. And I, and you can kind of paint a different picture of what a librarian can be and what they can do for you. But beyond that, I just don't know how, how do we reach them all? (laughs) How do we, you know, how do we make that case? Um, Especially, like I said, sometimes we hear, well, you know, I remember what it was like to go to the library. And I, and I asked this question of uh, some previous people on the podcast too, you know, the principal walks by, there's books on the shelves, Things are getting checked out and story time's happening. What more do I need? And, and isn't this something that can be done by anybody? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and again, that's something that I'm reflecting on right now because, you know, as I see these decisions being made that, that I've not been privy to at all, in spite of the fact that I'm a, I'm a director in our district, um, like, for example, the clerk, clerk decision was made. I, I found out about that through basically through the grapevine after it was already in place. Um, so... I, I think that I think that the challenge is is that in, we've had a superintendent, uh, Steve Webb, that's been very supportive of school libraries. He's gone on record. He's spoken at AAS, AASL conferences talking about the strength of school librarians. Like I said before, we wrote an article together. He's a believer. He sees the connection. He see, believes that school librarians, uh, teacher librarians, um, are really significant players in preparing future ready graduates. That's, and I even referenced that in, I think, in my, in my TED talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that's great. That's great to have top level support for that. Um, the challenge is, is that, you know, administration, uh, and one of the things that I've learned for seven, in the seven years that I moved from, my, I was a teacher librarian for 20 years, and, and I've been a school administrator now for seven years. One of the things that I've learned is that, that, that the administration is not a monolith. They don't all uh, drink from the same cup of Kool-Aid. Um, there's, there's a diversity of opinion ap- among them. Um, there are politics associated with that. It's much more complicated than many librarians and educators realize. Uh, they think that a principal is the same as a district leader when it comes to the way they think or, or their priorities and so on. And it's much more complicated than that. And I think you also are in that situation where you, uh, you are as a district administrator could probably are nodding along with me as I say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and so there's, I think you, you need to realize that, that just because you tell and, 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 
going to kind of get across the line with one administrator, that doesn't mean that everybody else is listening. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges is this, um, the, the challenge of, of building versus district. And, and in some districts, you have smaller districts. And so there's this kind of cohesion with both with district and school administrators are kind of closer to one another. Uh, but in large districts, there's a there's a complete disconnect between the two. And so um, in some cases, principals have a lot of discretion about what they do in their own building, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what the superintendent or the board policy is. And so that's where, you know, you have to tell you have to tell a story. I mean, Shannon and I, you know, in, our, in the institutes that we do, the Future Ready Institutes that we're doing around the United States, we talk about, you know, tell your story and then tell it again and again and again and again. And so just because you tell, you know, you tweet out one great thing and your superintendent likes it, that doesn't mean that everybody's getting the message. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the, this idea of a redundancy of communication, of good news, of sharing, of, of engagement but also I think it's really critical then to make sure that that story is, is transla translating to the other people that are going to be making the decisions. Um, and in spite of that, and I think we've really done really well in Vancouver, uh, we're still feeling the pain. I mean, we're still feeling those cuts because the, the, in spite of the fact that, you know, that we're maybe retaining our, our librarians, the cuts to the clerks in some ways is more devastating because it really undermines the ability of the librarians to do the innovative work that we've told them and we've trained them to do. Mm -hmm. So we're really pulling them. We, we've got, we, we, we've gotten them to the 21st century and the, the cuts to the clerks really kind of suck them back to the 20th century uh, so that they're, you know, they're the ones that are going to have to do the work in terms of cataloging, getting the books on the shelf, and they're going to be stuck in the library. Um, and, you know, one of my colleagues, Tracy Chun, fantastic. Uh, you should have her as a guest sometime if you okay. haven't had her already. She's wonderful. Um, she's, you know, she's, you know, proudly trumpeted the fact that she leaves the library and goes to teach in classrooms. And, you know, that goes away next year if we don't have those clerks in place. So there's, there's, I think, and I think part of the other issue, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much here, but no, 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 I you're think, fine. <laughs> I think one of the other challenges, too, is that people don't see, administrators don't see how the different years uh, align and impact services to students. So um, I'm going to use the case example in, in Vancouver is that we've, 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 we early on made some cuts to our instructional technology facilitators, which I was rabidly opposed to and I, I I may I, I did a I did a I did a blog post and and I actually even got a call from my superintendent about it he was not really pleased with that um, but we <laughs> talked it through and that was okay but but so I was really concerned about that cut so that happened I don't know two months ago and then just in the last couple of days we had this announcement about the library clerks I'm not certain that the people that are making the decisions uh, in our district, and I don't know that it's necessarily our superintendent. There's a, there's a group of people that are, you know, kind of uh, crunching the numbers. Um, I don't know that they necessarily see how those two concurrently impact the ability of the librarian to be able to provide the services to students that we've said that we're going to do. So in other words, they, they don't see the connection between the two of those things. And, and as librarians, you know, we're feeling that pain. We recognize, oh my gosh, you're getting, we're getting it from this side and we're getting it from this side. I don't know that, that, that the people that are making those decisions necessarily see those connections. And I think that's what's happening in a lot of places. And again, I think we're experiencing that right now in our own school district. Um, and a lot of it comes from, 
I mean, I know there's competing priorities and I understand that. And I, I worked in the corporate world and I know whenever there was a reorg, the first departments that always got hit were sales and marketing. And it just feels to me like whenever these changes are made um, in our, within our districts and having been a teacher librarian before actually being at the district level, it was always a situation of, you know, something's got to go because we need smaller class sizes or we need to have, um, we need to put a, a, an interventionist here. So we're going to cut the library first. And you're right. There is, there are these gears that align. And if you pull one of those gears out, then, then you're losing something really important. And I just, I, I still struggle with um, how do we, <laughs> how do who, how do we communicate to that group that's making that decision? Um, and, you know, we can do surveys and we can give them future ready frameworks and we can talk about ASL standards, but there just seems to be this, really massive disconnect. And one of the things I've been thinking about, and I thought about actually years ago when I was a librarian and I first walked in the door and I had come out of a program where it was all about, Hey, you know, you're going to collaborate with teachers. You're going to be co-teaching all this great stuff's going to happen. You're not just going to be a book jockey all day. And what I came to realize was that the teachers were coming out of a program that wasn't teaching them anything about what we were learning in our program as a librarian. Right. So there was this disconnect. And I just wonder you know, the, the group of people who are making these decisions about what's happening in the library, they were in school probably quite a long time ago. <laughs> and so they're even farther removed from the programs that our current teachers are going through and what librarians are going through. And, and I just wonder if it has to start even farther back, you know, like when these administrators are getting their licenses or, you know, how, how do they get the same message we're getting? Yeah, and that's one of the things that we've been trying to do with Future Ready Librarians, um, the initiative at the Alliance for Excellent Education. Mm -hmm. um, we've, um, we, we're actually working on that right now. Actually, that's one of the projects that I'm, I'm playing with is we want to develop kind of a, a partnership pathfinder because in the, um, the institutes we've done to date, uh, we have a lot of librarians that have really, I mean, Future Ready Librarians is, is, has become a thing. It's really mm -hmm. exciting to see how, how many people have embraced the concept and how many people are, um, you know, when the, when the pod or the uh, TED talk started, Future Ready Librarians really wasn't a thing yet. And right. I, but I had a hunch that it was. And so I wanted to kind of throw that idea out there and then, you know, months later, then it kind of got some traction and then mm -hmm. we launched it at ISTE and, and it's kind of become, like I say, a thing, which is great. Um, so librarians have really embraced it. The thing that I think we still need to be doing more of is connecting um, administrators, uh, both principals and district leaders to this idea of, of how librarians can, can be part of that. And I really appreciate the Alliance for Excellent Education and Future Ready for um, really being a very strong advocate for it. Um, you know, uh, Sarah Hall and, and Tom Murray, uh, the people that, that are kind of in charge of Future Ready, those are, are, are national leaders in education, and they continually talk about this idea of Future Ready Librarians. So I think that we've, I think we've, um, at least at the national level, and I think in many states, you also see this as well, um, there's, there's an awareness of what that could be. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the challenges is, is a disconnect between what the aspiration is and what it could be and what some of the current practices that the principals see in their schools. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, among librarians, I'm just going to be honest with us is that we still have, uh, we still have librarians that are cleaving to old models of working um, that, that have uh, really in many cases, kind of a, a more a fixed mindset in terms of, of change and innovation in schools and in the libraries. 
And I think that that's, that's one of the challenges is so as much as we can kind of put up this poster of what a future ready librarian is and have the framework and, and hear it, um, you know, principals will be saying, but that's not what I have in my school. Right. And that's not the experience that my teachers and my students are having. And so that, that really is, I think, um, is, a, is a drag on this idea of moving us to the future because uh, it's just there's, there's a cognitive dissonance between what could be and what is in some situations. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. And I mean, because we're librarian to librarian here, <laughs> I mean, we see that. I mean, we see that, um, you know, there are some folks who, Basically, they just say, I didn't sign up for that. You know, I didn't sign up for um, being helping with uh, technology integration. I didn't sign up for maker movement or maker kinds of activities. I, you know, I'm not somebody who needs to promote myself. And, you know, you said that redundancy of good news, that's just not something they do. And I do think that that, you know, that creates um, the mindset among our administrators that, well, this is what I've got. And I don't even understand what you're talking to me about when you tell me somebody else could come in and have all of these, you know, be the Swiss army knife of skills and expertise. Um, that's just, it's a paradigm shift for them. It's to me, it's nothing less than a paradigm shift for them when I have those conversations. And I think the other thing I would say too, is that I think we overestimate the ability and interest of educators to be excited about innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe unpack that a little bit. I mean, one of the things that I've been doing for the last seven years has been uh, to implement uh, a district-wide one-to-one program where a lot of other districts have done that too, so we're not the first. Uh, but we have uh, grades 3 through 12 in our district of about 23,000 students. Uh, we have one-to-one iPads uh, mm-hmm. for all those students. And that's taken us about six years to implement. We've done, we've done really everything right. Uh, we've... Um, and I don't mean that in a smug way, but we've learned from others. So we've invested, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the of our levy that, that funded this work into support and professional development. I mean, we paid teachers to learn how to do this. The professional development was great. Um, we just recently started a future ready principals cohort because we forgot about principals as being kind of fulcrums of change. And so we've engaged them in the digital learning and it still feels as though, you know, you know, we're, we're pushing this uphill fight against with innovation. So, um, so even I think if you associate librarians with the future and with innovation, there is a large percentage of principals and educators and, and, and staffs and systems that really or may not be ready for innovation and may not want to go there. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time in this conversation that I've kind of landed on that idea. But, but I, I do think that that's a challenge too. We just presume that everybody wants to go to the future. Um, and, and not everybody does. And particularly having been a high school teacher for 13 years, um, there's a lot of people in high school. Um, that that see the future as a challenge uh, and and they're continuing to teach the way they've taught for the last 15 or 20 years so so I think that's I think that's one of the things too that 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 complicates it you know we've done a great job of I think we've done a much better job of connecting future to librarians Uh, now what we need to do is get educators to see that the future is something we need to pay attention to 
Right. And like you said, I mean, you guys did it all right. I mean, you've taken your time, you've been deliberative, you've done your homework, but still, I mean, and we see that in our district as well, because we have what we call one to web instead of one to one, but it's a one to one program. Um, I've, I've heard of that actually. Yeah. yeah I've heard yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just think you're right. I mean, I think we haven't, you know, we haven't maybe thought about it enough or reflected on it enough is probably what the right thing to say there is that some may be not ready for that innovation. Um, it ain't broke, so we don't need to fix it. And with all the other things that we're being, you know, educators are being asked to do this, this is seen sometimes as one more thing, not something that um, can actually help or enhance. Sometimes it's seen as a burden, I think. And yeah. I think for our teacher librarians, it's also sometimes seen as a burden as well because they feel like they're sacrificing some of their core things for, you know, if they're really about literacy and literacy is what their true love is and they define literacy as just reading and writing, then that's something they don't get to spend as much time on anymore because they're being asked to do other things. And I know we've been trying to work on expanding the definition of literacy, but I think I'm hitting the same thing that you're talking about. They're not ready to expand <laughs> their definition of literacy at this time. Yeah. We had a, we had a, um, um, kind of an, an, an illustrative story. Um, we had a elementary librarian, a friend of mine who, um, really was one of the first people to get excited about makerspaces. And so he, he was, we, we had a little kind of a grant program. So we got some equipment for them and was one of a small group in a community of practice to kind of start exploring what a makerspace could look like in the library. And he was basically flattened by his principal and said, no, you can't do that because it's too loud and it's impacting um, the, the regular course of instruction that we expect you to do in the library. Mm -hmm. And so that's a that's a that's an exact example of that idea of, of wanting it to do innovation but not being ready for it. Yeah. Ironically, that same principle now is saying that they want to have some kind of a maker activity in the after in the evenings with 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 uh, principals. So it could have, or wait, not with principals, but with parents. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is that you know it would, in some ways maybe um, the, 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 that person wasn't just ready to do it when the librarian was ready to do it. So I'm hoping that there's maybe something that's being changed there, but um, that's a perfect example of that. It's like, you know, we had librarians that were in some ways ahead of the curve, both of their teachers and their principal and were essentially punished for it. And right. he actually left the district. He was so frustrated by it that he actually left the district and uh, he's still a friend and colleague and part of my PLN, but you know, we, we lost him because of, of that, that and a few other things that happened to him so sure. well maybe we just have to um live with the fact that some of us are going to just be ahead of the curve <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um either be okay with it or find a different way to you know to have that outlet i mean i i mean i appreciate this conversation because i think it it, it validates for me and i think for a lot of people who will be listening that you know they're all we're all kind of in the same place and even when we look at some of our the folks who we consider some of our you know, gurus and thought leaders, um, you know, you guys are also experiencing these things. It isn't perfect yet for you guys either. Yeah. 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 I think one of the things that you, you, you alluded to this idea of, you know, how do you kind of get, get people thinking about the future? I think, you know, uh, in our, when we started off, you talked about the article that, mm -hmm. that was in, um, and I'm not sure if I'm taking this away from you, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think one of the things that, that, 
the, one of the challenges associated with Future Ready and the, and the frameworks is that it was designed for systems change. So it really looked at uh, what are high-performing districts that are, you know, that are really doing innovative things. What are some of the core components that, that they've found as they look at those systems and as you look at research that, that motivate and, and change systems for the better to improve instruction for, for students? And so that's always been the focus of Future Ready. It's not been about, um, or at least not, it hasn't been expressly about students. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been implicit there. We've, it's, it's been kind of in the middle in kind of a vague way, but it, it's been kind of implicit. And so that's actually one of the things that I think is, is an opportunity is mm-hmm. rather than, than thinking about the future in terms of improving the library or the classroom or the school, is we have an imperative to prepare future ready students and future ready graduates, future ready learners, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that if you change the conversation again, and I think maybe, maybe it's another TED talk for me at the future, uh, <laughs> which I would love to do. That was actually, that was so much fun. Oh my gosh. It was so hard and so much fun. And, and, and uh, anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, I think that there's an opportunity to, to further change the conversation that it's not about us. It's about that kid. It's about them. And so what we need to do is we need to provide a better level of service in our classrooms and in our libraries, in our schools, because the kids need it. And we are not really necessarily meeting their needs in the current state. And I think that imperative may be a different way of approaching the conversation, not only with librarians, but with other systems as well. No, I think that's an excellent point. And I think we tend to look at those frameworks and think about how it impacts our systems as the librarian in the school. But there's so much focus right now on achieve, you know, closing achievement gaps and thinking about what the student needs. And even strategic plans are being built at the you know, district level to really revolve around the students where they should be. I mean, that's exactly, you know, that, that, that's who we serve, right? Um, so I think, that's, I think that's really an excellent point. And maybe that's the way to get things to resonate more because if we talk about the library and library program, I, I was just thinking the other day, I was reading, um, you know, Keith Curry, yeah. Lance, uh, he's written, you know, the, all the research they've done. The last thing I read from them, definitely positioned all of these things that we a library can do a librarian can do and the kind of things they can provide around how it benefits students and and maybe it was always there in every report that's come out every year that they do on the state of you know k-12 librarianship but i saw i saw in this one much more of a bent towards that and so maybe that's where you know when we talk about this redundancy of good news like you talked about we need to talk about in terms of how it's impacting students and preparing them for the future you know one of the things i i always thought was interesting whenever we would put out when i was a librarian when we would do projects with students we were i was really careful to always include like the standards we were meeting like in a lot of different ways and that's great but that's sort of teacher talk right? (laughs) That isn't a a parent can't necessarily look at that and say, oh, I get what that did for my student. I get that that standard was achieved, but what would that really do for my student that they achieve that standard? How does that translate into a skill or something they're going to need once they move on from that grade level or they move out into the world? So, you know, I do, I think you're right. I think there's got to be maybe a different way to have that, to have that talk and to position that differently. So so that's your next TED talk. Absolutely. Maybe maybe so. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) I'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I've, I've, uh, I'm in a period of some, some deep introspection and, uh, um, I guess, self-criticism uh, around this issue of equity, uh, which is kind of connected to it as well, is that I, I think uh, our district has spent uh, quite a bit of um, 
Uh, we've bought quite a few books and we've had quite a few consultants and, and have <laughs> had many conversations, at least at the district leadership level, about some of the challenges of equity and racism in our, in our system, both implicit and explicit. And, and I'm really, I really do think that this, that's one of the reasons that this article, the, that kid kind of emerged is, is um, a recognition that librarians actually, and this is, this is, this is, I think the opportunity in some ways for librarians is <clears throat> um, within the context of a classroom, a teacher only really works with the kids that are in that class. Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, if it's an elementary classroom, it's, you know, 25 to to 30 kids or something like that, they'll see. And they, granted, they get to spend a whole year with them, which is fantastic. At the secondary level, it can be, you know, 100 to 180, I suppose, in some situations, maybe more. Um, but but it's, it's really, the, the, the point of impact is, is limited to those students. Mm -hmm. um, librarians um, really have an opportunity to connect all students and in many ways don't have some of the assessment and content barriers in place that teachers do. So, so there, there really are no excuses for librarians not to um, have connections with all students in their schools. And at the same time, there, there are the favorites in the libraries. And I think, I think, uh, I think if, if librarians can really um, look at their practices, look at their program, look at their instruction, uh, look at their priorities, um, so that, that more students are engaged and some of those students that are falling in the, between the cracks uh, can be served or, or be engaged or love school as a result of what's happening in the library. That's a powerful argument that really principals, superintendents, chief financial officers can't argue with. Right. Um, so I think that I think really that is maybe the next opportunity for future ready librarians is to really examine uh, the level of service that they provide to that last kid, mm -hmm. uh, not just the ones that, you know, are always showing up to, you know, for, for story time or, or checking out the most books or whatever. It's the kids that aren't coming to the library, you know, um, some of those other students that really need um, some support to move move forward successfully. Mm, no, I'm I'm. I like that approach. I mean, that might be the thing you like, right? That's the bridge, right? That maybe we are looking for to be able to have a conversation that resonates with administrators and our district level folks about the value that the librarian can provide. Okay. So after talking for 30 minutes, we've solved that problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, this has been great. And I just wanted to, I, when I was um, contacting you about doing this podcast, um, one of the things I, I always ask people who come on, um, you know, I have questions, but I obviously wanted to give you an opportunity. You had mentioned to me that you've been thinking lately about computational thinking. And um, did you want to talk about that at all? Or? I'd, I'd love to. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, uh, our, our district, uh, our district is, is, you know, kind of uh, exploring, making and coding and, and, uh, uh, kind of hands-on activities uh, along with almost every other district in the United States. Uh, right. if, if there's a sexy topic right now, uh, it, it is, you know, maker and, and, yeah. and coding. Um, so we're, I, I would say we're not, we, we haven't figured it out yet. Um, we have uh, intentionally empowered librarians in our district to be um, kind of where that starts. Uh, our superintendent actually 
several years ago when we had more money, um, funded, uh, you know, the, the librarians to really kind of be the starting places for that conversation to take place in the schools. And in some cases it was successful. And in some cases the principal wasn't ready for it yet. And so the, <laughs> we, as I shared with you before, you know, uh, we lost a librarian in the, in the, in the process. Um, but, but anyway, so I think we, we've, we've really connected librarians. So I think librarians that are kind of uh, in that space and excited about that, I think that's a really good thing. So mm-hmm. for those of the people that are listening, um, you know, keep it, keep at it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it. The people may be catching up with you. Um, so anyway, so last March, um, our district is part of the Digital Promise League of Innovative Schools. Um, and Digital Promise is a, a, a nonprofit in the education space that does research, um, kind of promotes innovative practices. They're doing some things with micro-credentials. Um, they're also doing some things, a lot of things around computational thinking. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, we were beneficiaries of a, of a training, and I attended it just to kind of be there. And it was one of those moments where, and I've been an educator now for 27 years, I had a late, late career epiphany. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is something we need to be, be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so I kind of took it back to the to the administrative team and, and, and said, you know, we need to, we need to do more with this. And so, um, so as a result, I've become sort of an accidental advocate for computational thinking in our district. And I really am still learning. I I don't know that much about it. And I have to give full disclosure. I don't know how to code (laughs) and I never took a computer science class and I'm a humanities major Mm -hmm. and, and, and so for all those other librarians (laughs) out there that are, that, that, that are in that same category, and I believe computational thinking is one of the most important things we need to be paying attention to in schools today. I really do. And, and, why, uh, and so why is that? So the reason why, there's a couple of reasons why. So computational thinking, and what I would say is, and we can kind of add these to the resources, is both uh, Digital Promise and ISTE uh, have done some really good work to explicate what computational thinking is. They have videos and resources and, and really nice splash pages on it, um, lessons and so on. Uh, ISTE just came out with um, a computational competencies for, for educators across the content areas. Mm-hmm. So, so they're the ones that have really done the great work. But why, why I think it's, it's critical is that it is not coding. Everyone is chasing after coding. And coding is a great thing, I think, in some cases, but not every kid is going to be a coder. And 15 years from now, when our, or 12 years from now, when the kindergartners are graduating from our schools, it's going to look completely different than it does today. Uh, the coding and the whole, the whole programming environment is going to be completely different. So, um, you know, learning to code today may or may not be useful 15 years from now, or 12 years from now. And Computational thinking really is about um, the decision-making processes, the critical thinking processes, the problem-solving processes, and the uh, components that sort of mimic automation, um, artificial intelligence, and computing. And so it's really a way of thinking that really crosses across subject areas. And so you can apply computational thinking strategies in almost any content area. Um, Just a week ago, I went up to a bilingual conference and with my wife, who's an ELL teacher, and her colleague, who's also an ELL teacher, we did a presentation to English language learner teachers and bilingual teachers uh, in Washington State around connecting computational thinking to English language learning. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's really cool about that is that it 
it really doesn't require devices. Uh, it doesn't require coding. Uh, and it, it, it really allows students to really develop some habits of mind and dispositions that are kind of the cornerstones for future exploration of coding or computational or, or of, of uh, computer sciences mm-hmm. and so on. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's, a, I think it's a, it's something to pay attention to. And it's something that I think librarians, uh, the making I think fits very well. I think the coding doesn't always fit. And some librarians may be kind of anxious about that, but if they're anxious about coding, I think that they should definitely look at computational thinking as a skill set um, that, that could be used in their library. And you just wrote an article for Teacher Library Magazine about this, correct? I did, yeah. yeah I had, okay. I had uh, Josh Weisgrau from Digital Promise and then one of the people from our, uh, uh, Shannon Thiston from our uh, Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction in Washington State. Um, I don't think it's out yet. Uh, yeah, but if you, if you have access to uh, one of the online databases, uh, Teacher Librarian, I'm not even sure what the title is. I apologize, but I think it's in the March-April edition of Teacher Librarian. We'll try to find it for the resources uh, yeah. that you might share later. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so we kind of explored exactly what that looks like mm-hmm. and you know, the ways it can be connected to, to library practice. Well, I'm extremely happy to hear about this because I was at TCEA um, in, was it February? And I attended a microbit workshop and um, the folks who led that went into um, a really, a couple of really cool exercises around computational thinking to demystify it really is what they were trying to do and not have it be in this realm of, oh, this is CS related. And, you know, and then my epiphany was, and maybe this isn't an epiphany, maybe, maybe I'm way off. When I started to look at what computational, I, and actually I come from a background of being a, um, a software product manager. I wasn't a developer. I'm not a coder. I don't do any of that stuff. And I work with these folks, but I never really analyzed the way they get to solving the problems that they have to solve. And going through that TCEA workshop and doing some computational thinking work with those particular facilitators, my epiphany was that, you know, this isn't a whole lot different than a research strategy. I mean, when you look at the big six or you look at a soul, what you're doing is you're taking the big part, a big problem and breaking it down into its smaller parts yep. and documenting that process and thinking it through. And so to me, this is not out of the realm of what we do as teacher librarians. It's just maybe a different it's it was taken. You know, it's, it happens in a different um, profession, but it's easily transferable onto the things we know and how, how we solve problems. Is that like crazy? Is that way off base? No, no, no. That's exactly, I mean, that, and, and I didn't even really connect it first to the research process. That's actually, that's, that's another way of, of thinking of it. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I want to, want to uh, hone in, you mentioned microbit um, for librarians that are listening out there or for anybody that's listening out there, pay attention to microbit. That is a cool thing. I have a really smart friend, um, uh, uh, a colleague in Pittsburgh that, that a year ago said, pay attention to the micro bit. I didn't get it until I went to a workshop uh, yeah. at a local conference. And it's like, yeah, micro bits, that's something that librarians should be paying attention to. Yeah. Um, so to, to your point though, about the, about the research process and kind of that, 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 that idea of sequencing and then breaking pieces, de- decomposing. I just think it's hilarious that they use the term decomposing, which I associate with my, my uh, <laughs> compost patch in the backyard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a, those, those terms. So I think it's really, you know, so what do you need to do? You need to name it differently. So if we've been talking about, you know, Boolean terms or you know, Boolean operators, I grew up with that, you know, the whole idea of, you know, and or and not and that sort of thing. Uh, essentially, those are components of, 
of an algorithm. They are an algorithm. Uh, So starting to use those terms explicitly. So use algorithm, use decompose, use, uh, you know, uh, um, pattern, pattern recognition, those sorts of things. And I was really, to me, it was like deconstructing, right? Like, you know, it's just deconstructing the problem down to its smallest parts. And I was like, oh, you know, I, that to me was just like, oh, well, I think this is good. I can get this. But I agree with you. I think naming it something different or being letting them talk about it differently or in the terms that they're familiar with makes it less uh, CSE and coding and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the activity we did with uh, the, what we, the way we introduce algorithms, actually, is we do a Lego activity and we borrowed this. We, we actually ripped it off from, from Digital Promise and they, they know that we've ripped it off and we've, we've given them credit all the way along. We actually have people take five Legos. We just have a pile of Legos in the middle of a, of a, of a table and you can do this with adults and with kids. Uh, and then there's a little worksheet that basically uh, you basically build something with those five pieces, take it back apart, put it back together again, and then on the sheet of paper, write the instructions about how someone else, what else someone else would need to do to replicate and build that piece, that, that, that thing that you've created. And that's a basic algorithm. So then what you do is you trade that with someone else that, and with all the pieces disco- de- de- deconstructed, and they have to follow your algorithm and test your algorithm. And then you have a conversation about, did you, were you successful? Did you fail beautifully? Uh, how can you make, how can you debug this algorithm, and make it better next time? Mm-hmm. And so just, a, I mean, that's, there's, we use literally pencils, Legos, and paper for that activity. But it's a rich opportunity to introduce the idea of algorithms. Um, and I will share a story. Yesterday, we had the last day of our year-long Maker Ed cohort, which I was really honored and humbled to facilitate and um, be a part of. And on our last day, we did something similar, but we did it with a handshake. So um, we had our cohort members watch LeBron James. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen him when he was with the Cavs. He had a unique handshake for every member of the team. So we asked our people to break into teams, create a handshake, and then they had to document the handshake so that they could give it to the other team so that they could do that handshake. So it was the exact same thing. I mean, before you know it, you had an, you had an algorithm, you had a loop, and they had a, you had to watch how they interpreted it. They didn't actually see the handshake first done correctly. They just had to follow the documentation. And everybody to the person in the cohort said, this was such a great activity, and we loved it. And I said, and congratulations, you just experienced computational thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the one thing I would add is, is really critical. You, what I heard in that is that, you know, that, that it is a social activity. I think yeah. one of the challenges with coding is that coding tends to be a very solitary, you know, um, eyes on the screen, you know, crunching away. And I know that the coding does happen collaboratively, but in many cases, that's really a very individual activity and the thing that intrigues me about computational thinking or at least the design of computational thinking activities is ways in which you can pair up pair up students or learners or have groups work together and have that experience together Uh, because I think that to me that that scratches another itch which is how do we build uh, the ability of students to effectively collaborate coordinate their work uh, because that if you think about future ready skills that's an absolute essential and I don't know that we do enough of that in the classroom or the library yeah and I also think I mean one of the things that I we were really big on in the make red cohort this year was really building a sensitivity to design yep. it's, it's all around us it's everywhere and when you just look at something and you don't you know if you can give students the ability to look at something and you know have these two things happening in their brain appreciate what they're seeing but also start to analyze what it took to put that together 
Um, I think that's a really powerful combination and, and we don't do enough of that anymore. We're just all about, give me the thing, let me use the thing and let me throw the thing away. But I hadn't really thought about what went into putting the thing in place. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I guess circling back to you know, where we started the conversation <laughs> is that, that maybe then the challenge for, for librarians is to, uh, and again, this is one example. I mean, I think there's other areas that are that are kind of challenges in education that need to be addressed. But computational thinking right now is really popular, you know, coding and all that stuff. Everybody wants to have a piece of that action. And so maybe what it is is that librarians really need to be advocates and promoters of that as a future ready skill for students mm -hmm. okay so not just for the sake of doing it because everybody else is doing it but how does this prepare students in a better way and oh by the way i can do that in the context of my library right. and so you're really selling the idea of computational thinking less than the library itself yeah. and so that may be you know the trojan horse to to keep <laughs> you keep you you know to get you in the door yeah or to keep you in in the position that you have um so um, well, this has all been extremely helpful, insightful. I always finish a podcast um, talking to folks like yourself, feeling I got this like one-on-one -on -one tutorial um, and, and time with um, a thought leader. So greatly appreciate it. Um, and is there anything else you want? Are you going to be speaking somewhere else or showing up anywhere else that people need to know about? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, we'll be at ISTE. Uh, we were hoping to have a Future Ready Librarian kind of uh, one-day institute there, but we were, were un unable to pull that off for this mm -hmm. year. But uh, we probably we did one last year. It was great. Um, there will be sessions at ISTE in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. Uh, Shannon and I will both be there, and uh, we'll be doing – actually, we're doing a session, a uh, really cool session. If you want to meet the folks from Digital Promise, uh, Josh Weisgrau, uh, and Gailing Jenkins, she's not, she's actually a librarian in uh, one of the Carolinas. I can never keep it straight. <laughs> anyway, um, is going to be doing a session on, on uh, librarians as maker magnets. And I know that oh. a lot of librarians were already, you know, uh, into that space, but, but it's, it'd be a great opportunity to kind of learn about what she's been doing. I'm, I'm really excited to collaborate with them uh, and then potentially, you know, make some connections with Digital Promise because Digital Promise is one of those great organizations that's just really doing some fantastic leadership, but a lot of people just don't know about them outside of the administrative level. So um, they're great partners and friends and I think it'd be great for people to come out to that. Uh, they're a great organization and I've been taking a lot of resources from them lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say too is with Future Ready, with Future Ready Librarians, one of the things as I alluded to earlier and I didn't finish that thought is that uh, developing uh, kind of a, a toolkit of sorts, kind of a pathfinder, um, uh, a kind of a strategy and some resources to help librarians um, uh, have that conversation with principals. And so using the Future Ready framework, uh, really developing uh, really a protocol and a, and a facilitation strategy so that you can have that first conversation with a principal or a district leader about building capacity around Future Ready uh, within your school. Uh, and so it's really literally a step-by-step -step process with resources and materials, and we're going to develop a flowchart. Hopefully we'll have that out. I don't know if we'll get it out for ISTE, but I will probably have it out in the fall. Uh, but again, uh, again, going back to the first conversation we had, you know, you've got to be able to tell your story. You've got to be able to make those connections. And so mm -hmm. we're hoping that that will help. That sounds great. Um, I, I'm sure everybody will be eager to see that when it comes out. Um, Mark, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time. And as I tell all my guests, um, I will let you know as soon as the podcast is published. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm really glad to be able to share with you. And thanks for it's always nice to connect with another library leader. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yeah,
name is Erica Arias. I'm the teacher librarian at Ryan Elementary, and we're here today to talk about our design thinking unit that we did this year with our fifth graders. So I'm going to introduce our, or our fifth graders are going to introduce themselves that we're on the winning design team. I'm Zafi. I'm Willa. I'm Charles. I'm May. I'm Monique. Great. Thanks, guys, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Are you ready for school to be over? No. Yes. <laughs> when I came out today, I realized how close we were, and I was like, wow, this is like just a couple of days away. So thanks for doing this. And this is Wacky Tuesday? Is that, yeah. what, is that what you guys? It's wacky Day. Wacky Day. Okay, it's Wacky Day. Like every day, every Tuesday isn't wacky? No. Okay. <laughs> we just heard it. Okay. So, um... I have the um, great good fortune of talking to this team today of students and Mrs. Arias. So Mrs. Arias, about, I, I can't call you Mrs. Arias, <laughs> Erica. Uh, uh, Erica emailed our teacher librarian group, what was about like three weeks ago maybe? Mm -hmm. um, and she emailed all of the teacher librarians and BBSD about this great project she had just done to have students help design and aspect a space within the library. Um, so it was a design thinking challenge, uh, a little bit of PBL, um, a lot of the five C's, communication, critical thinking, um, communi uh, community, uh, creativity. creativity, thank <laughs> you, I'm trying to think of all of my five, my five C's, um, and communication, yeah. So it was um, a really great project that you guys all worked on. Um, I will tell you everybody right now that I'm sitting here with these particular fifth graders because they were the winning team or the winning design for the project. So I'm gonna let, Erica take over and talk a little bit about what the project entailed. Sure, so um, for a long time, ever since we had done our previous bond construction, not our one with the innovation funds, um, I was really disappointed with the entrance to our library. Uh, we have a great window corner that people can look in, um, but it looked more like an office. Do you guys remember when we yeah. took yeah. a little field yeah. trip to the front of the library and we sat down and we took a look at it and talked about if it really looked like our library? What were some things that you guys noticed? What was there? Do you guys it was, remember? It was kind of just boring. It was boring. It was boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was plain. Was So I think we all agreed that we needed to um, liven up that space because the rest of our library is pretty warm and inviting for students. Um, and I had taken the PBL course with Kiffany. We had done it as a staff at Ryan um, last fall. And there was a design thinking unit that another school had done to redesign their um, courtyard. And I thought, this is a perfect opportunity mm -hmm. to involve students and redesigning that section of the library. So our guiding question uh, throughout this PBL was how might we redesign the library entry to better reflect our library, invite people into the library, and address our many users' needs. So at Ryan, we have preschool um, up through adults that use uh, the library for a variety of purposes. We have lessons, we have small group pullouts, um, meetings that take place in there. So. Uh, and then kids will come in and do recordings and things like that when they need kind of a quiet space when other when it's pretty busy in their mm -hmm. classroom. Um, so kids will sometimes come and work one on one or just do pull out um, projects. So with that in mind, um, I started to walk the students through the design thinking process, and the first step was to survey users. So we had uh, five design teams in each of the three fifth grade classes 
and so 15 teams total. So 15 teams all together. Of this many students? Of so five to six. Five to six kids. on a team. Yeah. Okay. And each. We used to have one more student, but then he left. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys were actually, you were, oh, so you, okay. Yeah. You're down a person. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and so they were each assigned a group of students or adults to survey and to get feedback in terms of what we liked about our library, what we didn't like, what we needed. So you all had to survey which uh, group of people? Third and fourth. Third and fourth graders. Third and fourth graders. And did you write your own survey, or did someone help yeah, you with this? Yeah, we wrote our own survey. Yeah, you did your own survey. Can you think of any of the questions that you found? We asked like I don't really remember what we asked. They know we asked like, what would you look for um, in like a cave design, something like that. I, what would you look for? I have a feeling. No, we asked like, or, like we asked. Thing? Like, yeah, what theme do you want? And then we gave them some options. Oh, okay, so you gave them a little list of themes that they could pick from on the survey. I, I, th I think we also asked, why did you choose this? I'm not really sure. Oh, okay. We also left an open category for them to put their own answers in for. Mm -hmm. We also asked whether they wanted to change it at all. Oh, great question. Yeah, we did. Good question. Yeah, so they were very, each of the teams were pretty thoughtful mm -hmm. in their um, questions, and we tried to keep the surveys to about three to five um, questions. Sure. And then our uh, staff was great. They were super supportive of this project because we had, they, we sent them out, we put them on Google Classroom to make it easy for uh, our second through fifth grade students to respond and for them to get their feedback pretty quickly. Our preschool, um, kinder and first grade teams were willing to send focus groups of five to six kids that the those students that were assigned those grade levels could do face-to-face -face interviews right rather than doing a survey the little right. kid the right. little kiddos right. got to come in and yeah talk. so okay. we talked about you know knowing your audience and kind of <laughs> figuring sure. out what you know using some um, language that that younger students would understand when we're talking about some of this stuff mm -hmm. so from that um, they then brainstormed possible design themes and solutions, um, but they did have to make sure that we still had our question of the week space, a peace place, and um, the circ desk. We needed a place to check out, um, so uh, which we got rid of our big desk so we could have more room for the you had, a, I mean, space. your circulation desk was pretty big. It was point. huge. Yeah. I called it the beast because it really was. <laughs> Did you know she called it space. the beast? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but was I ever really behind it? No. no. Because they do self-checkout. So it was just kind of taking up a lot of space that we could use for areas for cozy reading for kids. Um, so from that, they went through and did prototyping and just brainstormed lots of different designs. And so why don't you guys talk a little bit about what were some of your initial ideas? Like for the theme? Mm-hmm. Oh, or, uh, rainforest. Yeah, like so, trees. trees and stuff. Okay. So some kind of foresty rainforest. That was the initial idea? Yeah, yeah. and then we just sort of added the cave. Okay. Because most of like the treehouse was something that other people were already doing along with the rainforest, and we wanted to have a more original idea for ours. Mm -hmm. So, but we still have a forest, so it's like a night forest, mm -hmm. and the river goes into a cave. 
so maybe you started out with that forest idea and then you kind of saw where other designs were headed and you just pulled out the cave and made it more like prominent more of a f uh, the focus of it okay yeah yeah like that and so what the students participated in a parallel feedback um, type of structure for for giving teams feedback so um, when they talk about knowing what other teams were doing as they brainstormed all of these different ideas then two one to two students stayed at the table to explain to visitors what their design what they were thinking about possible designs and then the other groups went around and did gave feedback to the other teams mm -hmm. and so the fifth grade teachers used the praise question polish um, form of feedback so we talked about that we talked about feedback being kind um, and helpful and what are really thinking about what our goal is and that's to figure out what's going to be the best theme for uh, your group and for your our users um, did you guys like that process of the parallel feedback you know going around and I mean, yeah. or, or were you like oh, my idea is really good I really don't need any feedback mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> feedback was helpful actually how was it helpful like because if you're going to do something that might not work out then the feedback would help us change it to something better because you might see that sooner than yeah. Yeah. And that was my goal in doing the parallel feedback that we learned of the novel engineering was just getting that feedback earlier in that design process mm -hmm. so that they don't get too attached to one theme and then design it all the way through and then realize, oh, we didn't even think that through when other kids came and, and right. gave feedback. So, um, so that helped them then settle in on the cave um, design and then they did a rough draft and we talked about spaces and how to use things like rugs, um, colors, seating, uh, how to you make possibly use plants or other objects for barriers mm -hmm. um, to create different spaces. Um, and so we used some examples from um, the new uh, Google campus at Boulder and then also some other just images that I found of library spaces um, really, that really went with a color theme. So looking at how does a red-orange theme make you feel, how does a blue-green, and, and just talking about how all of those um, choices impact how people feel in that space. You know, when you were talking to me about this earlier, because um, Mrs. Arias, Mrs. Arias and I were talking beforehand, I was thinking like, you know, it was almost like an episode of HGTV yes. where, you, <laughs> where people like do remodeling shows. Have you ever watched those on television, you know, where they remodel something? And, you know, you, you see somebody pick out a color and you're thinking, oh, no, that is not a good color. And then the designer comes in and tells you, this is a better combination of colors. And you're like, you know, that's really helpful. Because I imagine, I mean, I remember when I was your guys' age, I was picking out some pretty funky colors from my bedroom, <laughs> and my mom had to come in and say, maybe not so much the polka dots, you know, on the walls or something like that. So that was really helpful. Did you find that helpful, or did you, or you're like, oh, I really want this to be red and orange, and I want to go with that? You thought that it was helpful. <laughs> good. I think they got some good ideas, and yeah. I think it, it, looking at some of those images, I think just helped them become really creative and um, they've really this team has done a great job on ordering some really great stuff for the for the space which we have staged in that window corner in the library as it as it's coming in so um, once they did their rough draft we did another round of feedback um, and that was 
the goal of that feedback session was to make sure that in your final um, design that would go up on the wall for voting with the school, can people understand your vision? And looking at your design, can kids from preschool all the way up through fifth grade and staff members really visualize what you guys are imagining this space becoming? Um, and so with some students' designs, a lot of them did an aerial view, so we talked about the difference between aerial and lateral views. And we talked about doing pop-out where you could, so there was one team that did a mountain reading center, mm -hmm. and they had an aerial view, and I said, well, why don't you do some lateral views of what you're thinking, because they had an interesting idea of creating mountains, bookcases, or bookcases that look like mountains, that would kind of create um, a, a section of the library called the Mountain Reading Center where you could go inside and read and have bean bags and some, it would kind of be like being up in the mountains. Um, so making sure that their designs were uh, understandable and people really uh, thought about what or could figure out what they were trying to do. Um, an example of some good feedback that I heard some kids give was is one hammock chair going to be enough? Um, so re they really challenged each other. I think they did a great job in their in their feedback of really thinking through, challenging each other to think through some of their choices and is it going to be enough for, for everyone involved? Was it hard for you guys to do the image where you, people could look at it and get it right away? Like, well, we, was that harder? We did, like, yeah. we did an aerial view for most of it and then we put... Um, like on the side, like out of the space, we put another cave, but it was lateral view. Right. So that they could tell. I know, because sometimes like when it's in your head, like you can see it really, really well, right? Like I know exactly what I want it to look like, but when you have to translate it for other people, it, I think it can be really hard. But it sounds like you did it and people understood what the, how the cave might differ from a forest or a rainforest. Because I would think of, a lot of people had rainforests or forests, and then you had a cave, and you had a river, or you had a treehouse. They might all kind of start to look a little bit the same, right? Mm -hmm. Or did you find that in the end, everybody kind of was able to express their stuff, and it was everybody had like everybody was distinct. You knew this was a cave, and you knew this was the treehouse. And well, we didn't really have like a cave and a treehouse. We didn't either. No, I'm didn't another team have a treehouse? Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like two other teams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. And the 15 designs ended up being pretty, pretty unique. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to kind of see. One of them was like a marine. Yeah, so there was, it was a, what? Mar a marine. A marine, and they would have a turtle. Oh, wow. Okay. So they talked about having pets. I think another team did, had a bird theme, and so they wanted oh, yeah. to create a big nest that kids could sit yeah. in and read and then possibly have like some budgies um, in the library and just pets and so <laughs> a menagerie right <laughs> so once they had kind of solidified what their theme was um, then we really got to work uh, so within the design teams people had different roles um, so we had a budget coordinator we had layout specialists the layout specialists um, worked together to measure the space um, before we actually started shopping I pulled the budget coordinators um, and they made copies of the budget spreadsheet and I worked with them on 
understanding how to use Google Sheets. So were these roles you assigned to people on the team? Yes, but oh, they okay. filled out a, I gave them a Google form way at the beginning, uh -huh. and they gave me their top three choices for roles on the design team. So what were your guys' roles on the design team? Um, I don't remember I wasn't. Really I think I was a design specialist. Design, design and specialist. May was a layout specialist. Layout yeah. specialist. Okay. I'm a, I was a design specialist. Okay. I was your budget coordinator. You were a budget coordinator. How about you? Manager. Manager. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like we a had like a yeah, oh, we had like a yeah. communication director, so that that person would come to me if they needed help with um, problem solving within the team. Looking back, that's one thing that I would tighten up a little bit if I had to do a design thinking um, piece again. Uh, again, we only have a half hour for library, so there's only so much you can get done right. in that time period. <laughs> so Half hour goes by pretty quick, yes, I it imagine. Yes, so once they had the measurements and everything and the budget coordinators were trained, they shared this, the spreadsheet with the team. And then I shared through Google Classroom some shopping sites like Lakeshore, um, Pottery Barn Kids, we Ikea, Amazon. We had like one um, thing that wasn't from Amazon, but the rest of our stuff, stuff was, was Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then I told them that they had a $2,000 budget. And so all the teams started looking at pieces to purchase that would go along with their design theme. And that would just help them add a little bit more detail to their final designs mm -hmm. for voting. Um, and then these guys did a fantastic job. You've seen, you got to see some of the stuff, Zoe, and mm -hmm. uh, we've been staging it in the front corner and it's created a lot of excitement. Um, so why don't you guys talk a little bit about some of the things that you purchased for it. Uh, so we got a, um, like a river rug and that's the thing that wasn't purple. A river rug, so it's like a blue kind of, or yeah. does it have the pattern on it? Okay. We decided to get a campfire that wasn't electronic, that didn't make light, but was instead made of pillows. Uh -huh. uh, we also got torches and like bats. And cool. Are the bats like? Like they're stuffed animals. Yeah. Stuffed animals. Okay, yeah. I was, I was gonna say, what kind of bats were they? Were like they Halloween bats like, or like fun they're bats? They're not like. <laughs> to go inside of the cave, we are making out of paper mache. So the cave structure will be made of like a paper mache shell. Yes. Yeah, so, and I think yeah. I saw that's being set up and you're working on it? Yes. yes. It, it looks like a newspaper cave. Yeah. <laughs> right now it looks like a newspaper cave. So um, for the last week of library, I've had every um, class help paper mache the cave and have gotten a lot of positive. It's just creating a lot of excitement. The kids are super excited to see it. Um, and I've gotten a lot of comments from kids like, this is great that everybody gets to have a piece and work on this. So everybody has a little so, bit of ownership, yeah, even so outside your team, yeah, which is really so, nice. Um, we still haven't even done it. <laughs> well, you guys are going to do it either today or tomorrow. So let me so. back up a little bit. So you, you kind of put this stuff together where you had the design and you showed the different things you might purchase to go there, and then that was put out for voting at that point? Yeah, so yeah. we put the 15 designs up on the main hallway, um, and we voted the week before spring break. So again, I did a Google form. I took pictures of each design so that then, so teachers brought their classes through the uh -huh. main hallway and they could look and then they could vote on their Chromebook through Google Classroom. For preschool and kinder, I made paper um, sure. votes. And then, and like I said, the 
whole entire staff has been extremely supportive of this and really took the time with the kids to kind of walk through the design. Right. So it was fun to see over the course of the week everybody kind of looking and um, wanting to know when we were going to have the results. When did, what did you guys think of the, the voting? Were you guys nervous during voting? Very. Were you, were you like going up to people and vote for mine, vote for mine? <laughs> no, not really. really surprised. You were campaigning for your design? We were kind of surprised when we won. No kidding, okay. I voted really for ours. Were you surprised? Yeah. yeah. I voted yeah, for I, our own. I was going to say, did you vote for your own? <laughs> Which is totally fine. Out of all of, the, all of the ones available, people would choose a cave. That was really what got me. Oh, interesting. Why? I'm not sure why exactly. It's just that, like, for some reason, kids seem to think that a rainforest is more, like, fun and active than a cave. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just shocked that they chose a cave. You know what I thought of when I saw your cave design? I thought how much as a kid, and I was a kid once, <laughs> I really love building forts. Like, I always liked finding, like, special places to go curl up and read and have this, like, you know, this, like, special space, yeah. right? And I bet you that probably meant a lot to the other kids. And I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I haven't been a kid in a while, but I still think building forts and finding special places and kind of secret places to go hang out are still, that's a pretty cool thing still. So I think you were onto something with that cave design, obviously. <laughs> I did that. I did that. Like, I would always make forts and stuff at my old house. That was like four years ago, but <laughs> it's fun, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and you get to yeah. So I, I I hear what you're saying. Like people like zip lines, and you want to go in the rainforest and see all the cool animals. But I, I don't know. I, I like the cave. That speaks to my need to have a fort in my life. I think. Well, and May, you mentioned it being a cozy space, mm-hmm. so kids can actually are going to be able to actually sit inside of it. They kind of look like a bags. half a half dome. There's going right? to be like um, a little speaker that makes like crackling noises. Mm-hmm. Cool for the fire. Yeah. I think it will be very popular space. Don't you think it'll be a popular space? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder how you're going to like limit the number of people who can go in at one time. <laughs> you should have this like a sign that says only three people in the cave, please do not touch the walls. Sign up. Yeah, maybe some sign up. Can we touch the walls? It's like I saw you building the cave and it's like it's a small structure, but then I saw you building two. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering where you're going to put the other well, they're going to kind of face each other since they're both half shells. So we did have to modify their original design um, to, oh, so to then better. There's going to the be space. a little door place. Well, so they're going to be kind of angled out towards the library, and then I thought we could put the campfire that you guys ordered in in between the two. Does that make yeah. sense? Then um, where's where's like the doorway into? It's not going to be a doorway into the cave. That's what we had to modify. Mr. Appling, our science enrichment teacher, helped me, and our art teacher, Miss um, George, helped me uh, figure out what <laughs> what would be the best way to to uh, kind of have their design come to fruition. Yeah, sure. And then we had them um, really; they did a really nice, detailed sketch of what they wanted the the caves to look like, and so we worked from that. Um, and they ended up being a little smaller because we used six foot PVC pipe to, to make the frame um, than what I had originally imagined. I thought it was going to be a bigger cave so and we had enough PVC pipe that I said, Mr. Appling, let's make two. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. You're fifth graders, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be gone next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you feel about creating something that maybe you don't get to enjoy? Well, 
Yeah. You what? Yeah. <laughs> we're probably going to. So like, you're, Charles says Wednesdays. you're going to come back, right? You're going to come back and visit? On, on like Wednesday's yeah. late start. But it's kind of cool, though, right, to do this for the kids who are going to come after you, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a really nice thing to leave behind. Yeah. So that's, that, I think that's really, I mean, you don't always get the chance to do that as a fifth grader. So yeah. <laughs> I think you're kind well, of really cool. Some of the fifth graders and I were talking yesterday when we were paper machining the cave, and they said it's kind of a bummer that we're not going to be able to, to take it advantage of this and I said yeah I should have had you guys do this in fourth grade so that you could really take advantage of you know the fruits of your labor but but you know you guys just did something really awesome and you should take a lot of pictures of it and put it somewhere like this is work that you did I know this is going to be like a strange conversation for me to have with you but this is work you did and this is a product that you built Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty big thing for fifth graders to be able to say they did because all the things that Mrs. Arias is talking about right now and all the things you went through that's exactly what a company would be doing when they create a product, believe it or not. So when you build an iPhone or you build a Chromebook or you're designing a piece of luggage for somebody, you're going to go through that same process. So you guys just went through like this very real world thing that companies do when they have products. So you've just built a product. You should definitely take a lot of pictures and save them somewhere like in a Google Doc so you can show people in middle school like, mm-hmm. hey, you know. I was part of this design thinking team. I was the manager. I was the design specialist. I was the budget person. I mean, those are pretty cool things to be able to say. Yeah. Those are experiences, really good experiences. And so, guys, I want you to talk a little bit about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Was it smooth? Was it, did everything work out just fine? Or did you guys hit some, some bumps along the way? Bumps. 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 Okay. Yeah, bumps. So, so talk to bumps. me about the bumps. <laughs> We were like sort of arguing about like the theme and stuff, and um, yeah. once we did decide the theme, we argued about what stuff to put in it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We were like, no, we should do this kind of bean bag. No, we should do these stumps or whatever. And we also had this like thing where we thought of one thing we wanted to put in it, and then everyone was racing to try to find the first, the first item that we all liked. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, arguing or debate—that's not a bad thing, was it? Yeah. No. No. Did it help you get to a better place? Yes. Yeah. Did you come up with a better design? So when when you were getting feedback from, like I said, the other teams, did you? I mean, there were no hurt feelings there, right? Like, you guys just took in the feedback. It's yeah. kind of the same thing as having a conversation amongst yourselves, I imagine, about what would work and what wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. What was your What was the biggest challenge? Um, I'd like just getting us all to agree on one thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting you all to agree on one thing. Yeah. It's hard, right, when you're working on a and team. And then we would always be like, okay, I'm going to go search up a beanbag. No, I am, I am, no, me. And it's just... A lot madness. of people. A lot of what? There's madness because yeah. it's like the first person to get it, no one liked. No one liked what they had, so they had to go and get another one. But then a different person got something that the entire group liked, and so it's like everyone just like racing to be the first person to get something for the entire team. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you guys say that because when we sat down and talked about what you had ordered, so there were some things like, do you guys remember the logs that you had originally picked out? Mm -hmm. How big were they really? 
They were tiny. So like miniature logs? Right. They were for an aquarium. They were like two inches. They were like two inches. And then they had picked out some stalactites to put in the cave, but they were for, they were mini as well. Um, And then the torches, you guys picked out what was the problem with the Uh, torches. It had like one star. It had a one star review. Um, So when we sat down and talked about those things, it's interesting that you guys said that you were racing because I felt like you worked very fluidly to reorder different items. So maybe you guys got that out of this, out of your system and got to a better working place. Um, but you guys did a great job, and they found items that I wouldn't have even, um, I think, found as an adult. So, like, Charlie, where did you find um, the... The campfire and the rug, like, how did you go through finding that stuff? That was on. Uh, did just you do a Google up, image search? It was I, I did a Google out. image search. I found something that I liked, then I clicked on it twice, and it took me to the site that it was from. Oh, okay. Um, so they found these pillows that look like rock, different sized rocks. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. They found a lot of log pillows. That and also we, we found like fake grass and then we were going to do it like green and square or whatever for the forest. And then we changed it to be like blue and circular, like a pond. Mm-hmm. So you were modifying even along the way, like as you yeah. found different mm-hmm. things that gave you ideas like for making changes. So now you're sort of expert Amazon searchers. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, it's when I'm searching on Amazon, works. I do the same thing. I find something and I get all excited and I like, oh, wait a minute. I need to back up here and I look at the dimensions. Did I look at the size? Have I read the reviews? So now you guys have that skill. I you never can... found the dimensions. You never found the dimensions? <laughs> well, now you know you have to look a little harder for those probably. Yeah. Well, for the, for like changing it from square to circle, we just like clicked on the size and it said like six by six yeah. circle and Okay, that. <laughs> yeah, so they had found a really neat um, blue rug that looked like a rug. Well, originally they had picked out like a sequin runner, and we yeah. talked about how that probably wouldn't hold up over time. Sequins, yeah. With a lot of kids walking over it. We um, also um, we got like lily pads, mm-hmm. like big lily pads, and that like squishy green flower stuff mm-hmm. that you can hold in like big flowers. Yeah, I, I mean, it was great because I got, I, I need to, now you guys have, you know, you created more work for me, you guys, because what I have, have to do now is I have to create a website to go with the podcast so I can show all of the stuff you guys have, because I got to look in the window there, like, you know, like I was going to a department store in, you know, Chicago along uh, Michigan Avenue, and you guys have that beautiful window, and you can look in and kind of see, it really gets people excited, but I saw all the stuff you guys picked out, so I want other people to see it, too, so I'm going to have to figure out how many have to get the images out for you. What? I think everybody wants the to bats? have the bats came in yesterday. No, put them in there yesterday. You guys, like, we'll, we can we'll swing through. by when we're done with the recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you voted and you guys got chosen as the winning design, and your reaction was, yay. Yeah. <laughs> and, su- and surprised. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, what was the next step after after you had the win after you guys were the winning design? Then what happened we just next? sort of like met with Miss Arias mm-hmm. a bunch of times to like fix all the stuff. Like that was when we changed it from like green square to blue circle, mm-hmm. and like we got a few more ideas, and then we like just edited it a little. 
So now you've been like buying stuff, and you're because I can see it in the window. Yeah, now we're. And saying, you're gonna yeah. have two caves instead of just one cave. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And we didn't know how we were gonna make the cave, and then Miss Arius was like, "We should paper mache." Okay. Like, okay, that sounds fun. Because then everyone else can help too. Yeah, no, that's really cool that everybody in the school is gonna be able to help build the cave. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fun end of year project, and I think it's important for kids to have ownership and. Um, in our school and know that they can be a part of, of making it great. Well, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, releasing control to our students mm -hmm. and having students be more involved, so this is a great example of that. Tell me the one thing that kind of stuck with you from doing this, like maybe something you really enjoyed or a conversation you had or, I don't know, what, what, what really kind of stuck with you from this experience? simple fact if that you're gonna if the if that if you want something good to come out of this you're gonna have to work hard to get it mm. I really enjoyed getting to pick out the things that we can put in it so if like into the cave so I thought it was really fun getting to like find those things. so the part of picking out all of the yeah the stuff mm -hmm. yeah Would you? I just think that if we didn't like have all the other kids help with the paper mache, we would be missing a lot of class. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what sticks with you, huh? <laughs> it's a big project. It's a big project, yeah. How about you? Um, maybe just kind of like working together with teamwork. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. That stuck with you? How about you? Okay. How about you? What did you enjoy most? What stuck with you from the project? Making the design. Making the design part of it, yeah. Well, you guys did a really awesome job. I loved your, I liked the original brainstorming um, piece of, of work that you did and then how that changed over into a more detailed design. I thought that was really cool. You could see how you guys picked out and really paid attention to the feedback you got from other people. That's hard to do sometimes when you're really tied to your idea. Like, I really like my idea. I really want it to be this way. So that was really cool that you guys took in all that feedback. I wasn't actually that tied to it. I was just like, okay, we can do that. Well, <laughs> you were a very flexible person, and that's yeah. awesome, too. <laughs> Flexibility and agility, those are two important key things. Well, and I think I like, too, that you guys kept in mind trying to do something unique that other teams weren't doing. And like you, like you all said, a cave. Who's going to vote for a cave? Well... A lot of kids did, yeah, you know, and the feedback that I got from teachers was that um, your design that you did was very easy for kids to understand, and it really helped them visualize what you all were thinking, and so um, I think you all worked to really well together as a team and kind of brought good things out of each other and challenged each other, like Charlie said, to, to work hard and to do your best work. Awesome job. Thanks, guys, for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Um, and is there anything else you want to say, Erica, before we go? I don't think so. <laughs> I think we need to maybe do, like, a ribbon-cutting ceremony on oh, a late yeah. start day. What do you guys think? In yeah. the fall? That would be That'd great. Be Are you guys all going? Well, we'll talk about that after that. Are you excited about graduating <laughs> from fifth grade to sixth grade? Yeah. 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 Oh, great. I'm I just moved from Ohio, so I'm not really missing out on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from the Midwest, too, so I, uh, I, know, I know Ohio. All right, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys did an, uh, a great job again with the project. And, again, I think you just inspired me to finally get my uh, companion website going here for my <laughs> podcast so people can see all the cool stuff that you did. So, And also, congratulations on moving up to middle school. Great job.